Is it okay to want to be recognized for something? You know what amazed me this last Sunday is something that I get regularly struck by uh, when it comes to our church. And I just wanted to bring it uh, to our attention this evening. And, uh, you know, we have, in Legacy Group, we have as broad a spectrum as you can possibly, well, maybe not possibly imagine, but we have an extremely broad spectrum. Theology, theologically, we have a broad spectrum, life-wise, life application of God's word and everything. And it never ceases to amaze me, though, that regardless of where a person falls on this spectrum of belief, it is amazing to me how driven you are, driven they are, to make God famous for all the good reasons. And that's one of those things that we can see the spectrum of belief. We can see the spectrum of thought process and interpretation. And to be unified together that our whole goal is to reflect his name on this earth as it is in heaven. There is nothing more spectacular because at the end of the day, as long as we hope Christ is recognized in us far more than we are recognized in us, we're in a good place. We're in good shape. And so there's a question. I'm gonna go through a few questions here at the very beginning today. Um, and so one of the questions that I ask myself um, on a fairly regular basis uh, is, is Christ being recognized in me more than me in me? And that's just, a, just an introspective where I'm spending some time with the Lord. And it's like, is what I'm reading in God's word, is this what is recognized in my life? Is this what is reflected in my life? You know, and so is, is that one? And so through the years, I've also had this kind of exercise that my brother actually taught me years and years ago in a lot of his leadership development. Um, he taught me this one here. And there's just some personal questions. And then there's questions that you can ask people that are like family, friends, coworkers, people that you, you know, your, your, your kids play on the same baseball team together or whatever the case may be. And, uh, and it's, it's a really good just kind of, Working out. Now, I've adapted some of the questions that he gave me, but, but here's, here's how it plays out. First question, just on an individual basis. Ask ourselves, what Christ-like characteristics would I like people to say about me at my funeral? We've also talked about writing your own eulogy. The things that you would love for people to reflect in what you reflected here on this earth. What characteristics, I added Christ-like, what characteristics would I like people to say about me at my funeral? And then the second question is, am I living in a way today that leads to that legacy? What are the characteristics and am I living today in a way that leads directionally towards that legacy? Now that's the one that we get to kind of introspectively look at ourselves. We look and kind of go, man, yeah, no, I'm missing the mark or actually I'm doing pretty good lately and I'm really proud of the work that I'm putting in to reflect the person of Jesus. I feel like I'm forgiving well, or I feel like I'm giving grace well, or whatever the case may be, or conversely, maybe not doing as well in those things. And then, of course, there's some questions that you can ask people in your workplace. You know, what is, the, what is it, right? What kind of difference do I make? What a great question to ask a coworker. Do you see any difference made in me here in this company? You can ask your family these questions. Your children, let your children kind of show what they see in you. Your aunts, uncles, extended family, maybe a family member that you don't see eye to eye on. 
What a great way of letting them help you see what kind of difference do I make? And then the, the follow-up question, would people say I'm a positive influence or a negative influence? Overarchingly, just kind of span, am I over like 51%? Am I more of a positive or am I more of a negative influence? You know, today's Father's Day, and this is sometimes the day that dads get raked over the coals. You got to be a man. Figure out what manhood is all about and quit sucking it up and be a man. All right? It's not what we're doing today. All right? That is not what we're all about. You guys know that. Many of you have been doing this long enough. You know that today's the day where we celebrate the perfect father of all time. Perfect father of all time. The ideal father. And out of that, what we want to do is we want to be his reflection. It's really as simple as that. We just want to reflect and point people to the perfect father of all time. We set our eyes on this bringing heaven here on earth, longing for people to get to experience this unconditional, amazing, phenomenal love that the God the Father gives. You know that this is not something that is new, right? You know, this, this understand, this value of making a difference where we just want to know, are we making a difference in this world? Are we, are we reflecting what we long to be reflecting? Is there something that I'm leading towards that once I no longer breathe God's air here on this earth, that people are going to remember that point people to something that matters. This is not something that is new. This has been around for thousands upon thousands of years. You know, the children of Israel had just come out of the second exodus from slavery. They uh, had spent the last 40 years wandering the wilderness aimlessly. And during this wandering, though, they weren't going without. God cared for them and their needs in a really special and good way. They were sustained truly by the goodness and the mercy of God, providing food, providing water, providing all kinds of needs that they had. But as good as it was to experience manna from heaven, the quail on the ground, to see rock come pouring out of a water, out of a, see water come pouring out of a rock, my bad, um, as good as those things were and as miraculous as they were, this is not how God intended for this people to live. It's not how he intended God's people to live. They weren't supposed to be in the wilderness forever because they were in the wilderness because of their lack of faith. They weren't following the ways of God and God's like, dude, you wanna go on your own, go on your own. And God continued to sustain them along their way. No, God didn't want them to stay there and to just experience these little, small blessings that he had for them in the wilderness, what God had was he had a land that was rich in soil, good, awesome, fruitful soil. A land that was flowing with milk-producing animals. It was flowing with milk, milk-producing animals, and it also had honeybees. Honeybees, yeah, honeybees, they were able to provide the sweet nectar of honey, and guess what else they did? They pollinated and cross-pollinated these plants to create grapes that were never seen before, to create cantaloupe that were blowing the minds of the Israelites that they hadn't ever seen fruit like this before. This was the land of Canaan that God had for them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the land that God had for them now, the thing is, is though, they're out in the wilderness wandering. 
And they knew that this land that they were about to enter into, it was going to come with difficulty to be able to enter into the land. It was going to be challenged. They weren't just going to be let in. They knew they were going to have to fight some battles, and they knew that there were these giants in the land. Not only was the fruit giant, these giants were giant, and they were going to be difficult battles. But yet, they faced their first obstacle. Their first obstacle was in the springtime. Of course, in the springtime, the Jordan River was at floodwater stage, 10 to 15 feet higher than normal, flowing through with great power. If you've ever been in just the slightest of water that's flowing, you know how strong it is. 10, 15 feet greater than normal, this water was flowing through, and no doubt the people of Israel were walking up And they were seeing this river, and there were some that were really curious about how God's going to get them to the other side, to Jericho. They needed to get to the other side. And then there were others, of course, that were probably the naysayers, right? Where they're the the people who were like, this is not going to end well. We're going to lose a lot of people. A lot of people are going to die. A lot of all this stuff. But they were the ones that they were questioning whether this was even possible. And there's others going, you know what, I'm going to let some other people go first, see how this goes. I'll go later. I'll learn from them, those zealous people, you know, I'm going to wait for them to go first. Yeah. Dropped jaws as they stood before this majestic, amazing, powerful river. We're going to continue studying this tonight in Joshua chapter three. So whichever way you access the word of God, go ahead and get to Joshua chapter three because the people of God were told to look to Joshua. Look to Joshua, who was their God-appointed leader. The one who was receiving his instructions directly from God. Now, this was an incredible, incredible moment. And so here are the words, Joshua 3, verse 3. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, in other words, about 3,000 feet between you and the ark. Don't go near it. So Joshua goes to the people and he says, consecrate yourselves. Set things apart for... Tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. He's calling his play. He's calling his shot. Joshua then says to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Pass on ahead of the people. And so they went up, they took it up, and they went ahead of them. Now the official instruction was that he was going to send the priests to the river. And as soon as the priests arrived at the river, Something spectacular was going to happen. Now, interestingly enough, something already spectacular in a very similar way had already happened in their lives. Don't you wonder how many people wondered if it was going to happen that way again? Or if they were wondering if it was going to go differently this time? Or what? See if you see the the similarities here. Verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the the Jordan River, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, 
the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam or Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood not in the muddy ground, but on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation, all 12 tribes, hundreds of thousands of people had completely crossed on dry ground. Y'all, this was the day that the Lord did something absolutely spectacular. And it was one that they had seen before. You wonder how many people questioned whether it was possible again or not. But then God gave them a really interesting command. God went on to say, Joshua, pick 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel. Pick 12 and pick up a stone from the middle of the Jordan, right in the, moment, right in the area where the Ark of the Covenant remained while the entire nation passed by. Now, we're not talking about these little pebbles. We're talking about these stones that were like shoulder, like, you know, atlas stone kind of things, right? If you've ever done the World's Strongest Men thing, uh, watching it before. These massive stones. And they were going to take these stones. In their first encampment in which they stopped, they were going to build from these Ebenezer stones, they were going to build this monument, so that any time anyone ever walked by these stones and asked, why are those there? The story would be shared. And as the story was shared, it would perpetuate who God is. Lest the fear was, if we don't tell the stories of what God has done in our lives, God may be altogether forgotten. God may be altogether not seen as who God is, and people won't follow in the way that God longs for them to follow. See, God wanted them to experience this miracle, but it wasn't in such a way so that people would just receive it and that was gonna remain with them and the people. No, this was to be a story that was shared for generations to come, and here we are, still sharing this story, talking about the parting of the Red Sea, talking about the parting of the Jordan, talking about the land flowing with milk and honey and how God, yes, provided remarkably in the wilderness, but God desired to do so much more than just the wilderness wanderings. He had the land flowing with milk and honey for the people of God. And we find ourselves in a similar position today. Here we are on this Sunday, whether you see yourself as a spiritual leader or not, all of you who are in this room and you have called on the name of the Lord, God has saved you from yourself. You are guaranteed eternity. God has called every born-again believer to a place of spiritual leadership. Every single one of you, yes, we're here on Father's Day, but every single one of you in this room to a place of spiritual leadership. And so we have to ask the question, what kind of impact are you making? 
this is where we have to look at Does our life reflect the life of God? Does our life reflect God through Jesus? Does our life reflect a set-apart, Holy Spirit-driven existence here on this earth to where it paints the picture of who God truly is? What kind of impact are you making? See, leading a legacy, and I mean leading a legacy, not leaving a legacy, leading a legacy means that you're passing on something of value, something of worth. Now, many of you folks know I love sports. Like, I think there are so many amazing character qualities in team sports. They, 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 they work with dependability with other people. There's trust factor associated with it. There's discipline. There's boundaries. There's all kinds of stuff with sports, with extracurricular activities, with dance, with all of these, whatever team that there is, there's so much that can be learned that really do an amazing job of helping people live here on this earth. I think outdoor activities, education, the liberal arts, all of this is very important to life here on this earth. They teach life skills. They teach enjoyable leisure and things like that. But please hear me. These are not what are most important. They are not the most important thing here on this earth. It is a very important that we get the pecking order correct. Our relationship with the Lord and our development into spiritually mature believers far outweighs being a great athlete. Far outweighs being the spelling bee champion of the world. Far outweighs being able to do the big, best curtsy on the team. Is it a dance team? It's a dance team. Anyway, it far outweighs these things. It's so important. And so may we point the generations to what matters most, the most important truths of this life and the next. May we leave memorials. May we build memorials of God's goodness so that when the next generation comes up and says, what happened here? Will you tell me the story of what happened at that time? It's in that moment not only we, but the people that we're in relationship with are able to share the eternal truths of Scripture so that they can then pass it on to the next generation after them. But here's the truth, right? There's a lot of pressure on this earth. And the pressures of making decisions as spiritual leaders are heavy. Sometimes it is overwhelming to think the decisions that I make have impact not only on the next generation, but on the generation after that, and the generation after that, and on and on. This is a very heavy reality, and the pressure can get too heavy. It can be overwhelming. Should I let my child do this at that time? Should I not let my kid do this at that time? When do I say yes? When do I say no? How do I help them to thrive in their spiritual lives while I want them to thrive in their earthly life here as well. This can be very, very overwhelming, but here's the hope that we have. The hope that we have is that we live on this side of the resurrection, 
And we have this remarkable resource. It is one book compiled of 66 books that give us the way, that show us where to go, what to do, how to think, how to feel, and to know where we are going. Scripture is complete and is available so that you don't have to wait for 40 years or 50 years to hear from God. You can hear from God right now in the here and now. And it is an incredible blessing. You can hear God's voice in the pages of Scripture. You don't have to wait for any one person to reveal God's word like the people of Israel had to wait to hear what God's plan was to cross the river. You don't have to wait on that. We have the privilege of seeking God's word immediately and allowing God to weigh in on every decision that we make. And so we can remember this. This is really important to remember. The children of Israel were only able to cross the Jordan River because they listened to God's word. If they hadn't listened to God's word, they would have failed. The only reason they were able to cross the Jordan River was because they listened to God's word. And you want to know what? His word didn't make sense. There were people at that time who were like, dude, your God's crazy. That's stupid. That's blind faith. But it wasn't. It wasn't at all. They trusted God's word and they were able to cross the Jordan River because there was life experience. There was collective experience. There was, there was biblical understanding because in the Ark of the Covenant stood the Ten Commandments. Aaron's staff. This wasn't just some box that they were carrying. This was where the presence of God filled the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant. So they were following the Word of God. And as God imparted what the plan was, they followed His Word and it went well with them because they listened. Even though it didn't make sense, and even though there were a lot of people who were standing in the back, very critical of the plan. Very, very critical of the plan, thinking this is really not a good plan. These people are crazy. These people are not thinking straight. But the right way was God's way. The right way was God's way. You see, if we look in our, our society we live in today, this is kind of an interesting thing. This has become more and more aware to me, especially over about the last six months. So we've come through some serious racial tension in our, in our country, some serious racial realities with us as a church trying to sort through where we are in all of this as a predominantly white congregation, how we navigate these things. We're also in an in a over-sexualized context in our area specifically. And so the way for us to be steady as the world kind of goes this way and this way, it is so important that we be grounded. There are so many people today that are looking for what God didn't say as opposed to what God did say. What we have to do as a congregation is focus on what did God say? What is God saying? 
And that's where our foundation is. Many people will say, I don't like what that says in Scripture, and therefore that must mean that God is not speaking. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God is speaking, whether we like it or not. Our job is to align our lives with the Word of God. It doesn't mean if we read something in there and we go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this was said. How does a good God, how does this happen? How does all of this? It doesn't mean that God's distant and aloof. No, God is very caring. God is very near. And God is cringing at the sin of this world. Longs for us to live a very different reality. This is why we read, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that we need will be added unto us. Lean not on your own understanding. It's so easy to read the word of God and respond with, I think, and then fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what we think. What matters is what is the truth. What does the word of God say? Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways deeply know the Lord, and he will make your path straight. See, it was only after the Israelites followed the Ark of the Covenant, followed the word of God, that they were able to experience the life that God had for them. That's the only way it worked. And so dads, let's be leaders that point to that end. Let's be the leaders who lead a biblical legacy in our home while also leading the same in our community that we get to live in. Let's be that. Let's be men of God. Yeah, leader, being a leader can be terrifying because good grief, man, you, you pick away, you kind of get crucified, don't you, sometimes? Let's lead a biblical legacy. Believe it or not, we should feel the pressure to lead. It should be a heavy pressure. It should be a big deal. And we should never take our leadership lightly or flippantly. It's a big deal. And the good news is we've got access to God who will lead us and will help us as we raise the next generation for him. The cool thing about this is, this isn't just limited to dads. This isn't just limited to men. This is, each of us in this room should be challenged today to lead a lasting legacy. It's so important that we do this. A biblical legacy for the generation that follows. And so teens, man, you guys got some folks that are watching you. Your whole key verse for student ministry is don't let people look down on you because you're young. That doesn't mean for you to just go against the man. No, what that means is live a holy life in such a way that the adults go, wow, impressive. I wish I was there when I was your age. Heck, I wish I was there now. And it evokes change. And then our preschoolers and kids and children that are watching, they look and go, I want to be like that whenever I'm 16. I want to be like that whenever I'm leaving this student ministry and I'm going to go do the thing that's next. I want to be like that whenever I'm the next generation of leadership within this church. That's what I want to be like. Young adults, what do teenagers think of you? What do they think of you? What example are you setting 
for them, moms, aunts, uncles, grandparents, adults, there are a whole lot of people that are watching your life as a pattern to be followed. Are they being influenced by Jesus in you? Are they influenced by what you are for, who you're for, rather than who you're against or what you're against? This is what it's about. Each Christ follower, no matter how, whatever their status is in life here on this earth, is called to be a spiritual leader in the lives of the next generation. And so may we carry it. May we carry this load. May we carry the responsibility to lead the next generation, not to be great performers, but to grow spiritually. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's some of you that are in this room that you may be wondering, okay, does there ever come a point where I'm let off the hook? Does there ever come a point in my life? Is it when I retire, then things change? Is, it, is, it, is there a point when my kids leave and I'm an empty nester now that things change? Is there ever a point where I've kind of done my part and now I'm, I'm, I'm good and I can just kind of watch the next generations come? Can I watch the next generations do what they're going to do? And kind of get to coast. Is there ever a point when you get to be let off the hook? I will answer that question with a phrase. It's forever our time. Forever. It's forever our time. And so may we all lead biblically grounded, gospel-centered, godly legacies that are shared, not just for the here and now, but for generations to come. Father, we thank you for a night like tonight where we get to share this story where you did something unimaginable. Lord, not only once, but you did it twice where you parted the river and you, and you, and you let the, the, your people walk on dry ground. But Lord, may we never forget the reason that's possible because they followed what you said. They followed your word. And so Father, may we be people that follow you. May we be people that experience your word, your will, and your way, and we pattern our lives after it. Father, we long to be a people that get to lead the next generation. And Lord, in such a way that we're, we're learning and being led by the next generation while we're leading and giving a covering and a safety net for the next generation all at the same time. And so Lord, there's this beautiful pressure that we get to carry. Lord, I pray that you help us to carry it in a way that is supernatural because, Lord, naturally it will crush us. But, Lord, in your power and in your nature, we can do a super job. We can pour in with grace, forgiveness, with courage. We can pour in with expectation and a gentle touch. I pray, Lord, that you will bind us together and help us to fall on our knees before you. May we give allegiance to you. May we follow you in such a mighty way that, Lord, the waves of this world do not toss us back and forth, but we find ourselves steady. We find ourselves secure. We find ourselves unwavering in your truth. So, Lord, while everyone around is clamoring, clamoring, for your goodness. Lord, may we embody it. 
And Lord, may we live this life in such a way that we are, we are leading the next generations to a life that is fruitful, to a life that is filled with milk and honey, just as you desire. We pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen.